Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Let's um, pray one more time uh, before we're seated, and then um, we can... You, or you can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you most of all for this time here, Lord God, to enter in your house, to receive of your hand, Lord Jesus, to study of you, Lord God, to hide this in our heart. We pray right now that you open our mind, our hearts. For Father, we don't want to go through the motion, Lord God. We want to just pull in, hear of you, Lord God, and hear of this precious word and hide it in our heart. Touch us this day, Lord God. Touch every bit of ministering that I go forth. For Father, we need you, Jesus. We need your kindness, Lord God. Touch this day, Father, and we'll thank you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The series is Who's to Blame? Um, it's what we're studying and the series today, is, as he mentioned, is blaming the church. Um, and it says, because Jesus Christ took our blame, we must assume responsibility for our own choices and refuse to blame the church for our disappointments. Um, that is true. Um, and I've said it, I don't know how many times, and I'll just keep saying it. People's people. It don't matter where you go, what avenue you go to, people's just people. You know, you can join a ball club, basketball, don't matter. You know, somebody's going to cross you up. You know, where we have to be careful is, as um, was said, when we come to church and then we get crossed up with someone is, here's the fine line. It's been said a long time that people make up the church and people are the church. But here's where we've got to separate it. If I have crossed you and did something point blank wrong to you, don't blame God. Blame me. And that's going to take wisdom. Because when you come in and I'm just shouting the floor down and you know that I've done you wrong, don't hold it against God. And, and that's easy to say, but it's hard to put in practice. And you can't say like was mentioned, well, if that's what the church is about, I don't want nothing to do with it. So here again, blaming the church. And it'll continue to be said, we are the church. In essence, I believe that. I believe that. But I don't want to blame God when something goes wrong. Because um, we just have a tendency to do that. And God has said this church is going to make it. This church is going to survive. No matter if the gates of hell are open and attack this church, it's going. 
it is going to make it. So if I put my mouth against this church, then I'm wrong because I want to make it. And I'll go ahead and read the text that um, it gives. It's uh, the book of Deuteronomy 4, 21. It says, furthermore, this is Moses, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. He's speaking to Israel. And swear that I should not go over Jordan and that I should not go into that good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land, and I must not go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land. Now, blaming the church. Even as we are born, we start to grow, we just pick up on this blame issue. We just, I guess it's just one thing that comes natural. If we're as children playing and something goes wrong and there's at least two people there, you and one more. Well, who did it? It wasn't me. It was him. And we just pick up on this blame and we just, anything that would make me look good, I find, man, <laughs> that's the way to go. That's the way to go. As long as I can look good, it's somebody else's fault. I'm not going to take the blame. So we just grow up with this mentality seemingly. Not everybody, but it is something that we can yield to. And we must grow out of that. But it just comes so easy. We just find out, really, they did it? Absolutely. I had nothing to do with it. And the parent or whoever talking to me, thinking, really? You're not that slick. So... And the day in which we live, and I, and I will be careful with these next few comments, but society has took this to a whole new level. It's no matter what you do, you could kill, steal, it doesn't matter. You're not at fault. There's something wrong with you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you did. You just, there is no responsibility taken at all. And it's just if you use a weapon, whatever that, may, whatever that weapon may be, it is the weapon's fault. Take away the weapon, they'll just use another weapon. It is not like, I, I, I just, that's one reason why I don't watch much news. Instead of talking about the responsibility of the individual, all you hear is take away the weapons, take away the weapons. And all I'm saying is deal with the root cause of what's causing the people to do it. Then you can address the issue. And if you won't deal it, and all we hear from society and those in charge is it's not your fault. There's no responsibility given. It's, you're just, you're not to blame. It's the issue. Go back three or four generations and you've got this trait that comes up. I'm not, I'm not, just judge me in what I'm saying. I'm not just throwing out there and trying to be light at things. I'm not speaking against mental issues that people really have that there's issues wrong. I'm saying people that knows better, that deliberately does wrong, and society gives them a free pass. And they are being told it's not your fault. But we live. We have to work with them. We have to just be in society with them. And it's just, 
Now, the area, the time in which we live, what used to be suppressed is now no. You have got to have freedom of expression. You just express yourself. How dare you inhibit someone from expressing their self? And it's, it, it, it's just boggling to me. It is just what used to be. All right, I'll change that. What still is an abomination to God is still an abomination now. It's not us being cruel. It is society being told you was born that way. The Bible says, the Bible says it was that then, it must be that now. But the lines has been blurred so much that society don't know what is right and what is wrong. It is just, you feel this way if you associate. Now there's all these different male and female and now there's like a hundred different types. Just get up. You're what you want to be this day. And it sounds like I'm just making fun, but I'm saying this is the world in which we live. If not now, when will somebody say something? And all I'm saying, I'm not trying to be cruel, but this is the area and time of what we live in, what we associate with. And then the, <clears throat> what really gets me is you have what is called, that's why you can't really and truly, TV has just literally got to the point of awful limits. And it's just got where this right to say anything you want to, freedom of speech is what I was trying to get to. But yet come here from this vantage point and you're not trying to be cruel, you're just preaching God's holy word. Well, that's hate speech. We'll label that hate speech. Therefore, there is so many. I listened to the news this morning about how many countries they are that is clamping down. I think it was 67 countries on, on, the, on, on religion, saying what you can and can't do, what you can and can't say when it comes to. And don't ask if it's here. It's already here in America. It's already here. They go out and act as vile as they can and want to. And don't you say a word against it. We have freedom of speech. But you use one word against it. You're just a hate monger. James said, a man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The end of that is death. It's going to be death. And it's just, all they're told, all I'm saying is just you have so much blending, so much chaos that's going on in our world. How is truly, but this is a two-sided cord. In my mind, a two-sided sword. In my mind, I think, really? There's so much negativity, so much blending. How is an individual supposed to know what is right and what is wrong? But then, that's my fleshly nature. But in my spirit, just like back when this church was started that I've heard the stories of, of individuals saying, God, show me the truth. I can't say within my flesh, how is somebody supposed to know? To those that would look for the truth. 
God is going to reveal it no matter what's going on in our society. There will be a God that will reveal himself to those that would seek after him and love him and give their self to him no matter what's happening. No matter what's happening. So when it comes to blaming the church, we will, as just was so aptly stated right before I walked up here, we're just people. We're just people. And we're going to have issues. That's just life. We've got to get through them. Let's keep God out of them. And let's be the church. Be the church. We're just going to, I'm telling you, I've said before jokingly, if you knew the true me, you probably wouldn't even like me. But I said, like me in a spiritual sense. You don't have to like me in a fleshly sense. All of my personalities and quirks don't have to please you. But when it comes to a spiritual sense, we are the body of Christ and we make up this church. That is where we have to agree. And if we can agree in that, then we can be the church. God called, you look at all of his disciples. They was just from all walks of life. Not carbon copies of Jesus. They was from every walk. So when God called them, he got a random, a random uh, view of the, the, uh, the congregation, so to speak, then. And he took all of them and made disciples out of them. So he could have a little from every piece of, of, of different personalities. So he makes them. And blaming the church, no, let's do not blame the church. Because I'm telling you, God loves us in, stite, in spite of us. And God don't hold us over us. He sees us as who we can become. We're all sinners. All have come short. All have come short. But we can be man and woman enough to admit that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And when I point my finger at somebody else and say, who are you? Then I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm not... I'm, I'm within myself. If you hear me blaming the church, so to speak, then I'm wrong. I got no business doing that because there's all different types, personalities, people that make up this church. And it's when we let this uh, problems that we have with one another. And I struggle to say this, so to speak, but just get the point that I'm making. There's, I, I won't say that the type of this motorcycle club, but I've known this for years, and it really astounded me. There's a group of bikers. I'll say it that way. They are mean, and they are tough. And you know the name, but I won't say it. They are a mean motorcycle club. But there's one drug that if you're caught using, you got kicked out of the club. Now, I don't know what kicked out means, but it probably wasn't pleasant. So all I'm saying is even in the baddest motorcycle there is, club in the United States, there are standards and there are rules. And when you crossed it, you paid for it. So all I'm saying is like I said before, people is people. Well, if we can stop it at the people part, we're good. It's when we let it fade into the God part, that's where we're in trouble.
And we, if we can keep it in the fleshly part, and, and understand what I mean, keep it within us, straighten it out. If you need to go above that to our pastor, that's between you and the individual or me and the individual. But God said, this is my church, and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. So he takes, he does this, and look, and really, really and truly, as I said, I'll leave you out of it. If I get crossed up with somebody and I just say, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. Look at the minor situation that I'm using of leaving what I'm leaving. Because how can I let a moment of time affect an eternity? There's no way I can put that in perspective because I'm limited by time and I can only see at eye level. God sees through eternity. I can't. If I could tell you from an eternity perspective, you would fully understand what I mean. But when I get so mad with somebody, I said, I'm done, I'm gone. I relate that to an eternity. And that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. I can't do that. You can't blame the church. If your children are not in church, don't blame the church. Don't blame the church. I got kids. I got kids. Kids all fight. It's just, you just grow up as kids, you just grow up fighting. That's one thing you do. And you just get over it. You just get over it. You leave your parents out of it because you don't tell your parents because if you do, you got corrected for it in a way you would remember it. Now, all of us has a story. We want to move forward. We want to be able to seize our destiny. But I don't want to hold on to something that happened 10 years ago. You know, as Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm not just trying to minimize every, every one situation. I mean, life is hard. When we hurt, we hurt. So I can't go to the point and say, well, what you went through was minor. I can't say that at all. But we've got to get to a point that we can let that go. Because we, we got to look to the future. It's just a, silly, a simple illustration. You know what I mean. When you get in your vehicle. Okay, I'm going to lay down this mic for a second. Here is the windshield. Approximately. Here is your rearview mirror. Which is important. God wants me to look through the front windshield, not the rearview mirror. I got to look wide. There's so much in front of me, God wants to show me, give me, allow for the church. But if all I'm doing is looking in this little old nine-inch rearview mirror, I can't live my life by that. If God could spiritually show me, Kenneth, what are you doing? Turn that thing around. Look through the front windshield. Quit looking in the rearview mirror, allowing it to dominate who you are. Because I've got so much more to offer you. 
And that's us as Christians. We cannot live our life looking in the rearview mirror. And the enemy tries to haunt us by holding us captive. We all have memories that we can't escape from. We can't escape from. But we can ask God to anoint us to do whatever has to be done to help us to leave that rearview mirror alone when it comes to these situations. I'm not saying forget what God's done for us. You know what I mean. But things that we need to leave alone, ask God to help us, and he will. Now, Moses is what the lesson is mainly about. He is a great leader. He's the humanity, probably. He's one of the greatest leaders that humanity has ever known. His life story is amazing. It is true. And when he takes his first 40 years, he's in the household of Pharaoh. And one thing we see is that when he killed the Egyptian, and then here's the other Israelites speaking to Moses, and then what really stunned Moses is the pushback that was originally said to Moses came from his own people. And here's Moses, I believe here's Moses trying to process this. Really? Really? I'm taking up for you. I may have been raised in that household, but I am not of that household. This Egyptian was hurting you, so I took his life, and now you put your mouth on me? It came from his own people. So Moses is thinking, this is going to get back to Pharaoh. This is just me. But it's truth. This is going to get back to Pharaoh. I've got to leave. So this is Moses. I got to go. I got to go. They know it. How do, how do they know this? So he takes, he leaves. Think about it. Rejection from his own people. That must have hurt. Moses, if you was Moses, you'd be thinking, <laughs> that's a way to deal with him, jokers. Eliminate them. But instead, they got on Moses. And really, at this time, Moses is in this intersection where I would say we are most vulnerable. The first 40 years is up. Now it's time for God to do something else in Moses' life. And it did not go as he had planned. We all have this timeline figured out. God, I'll be here at this date. A few more weeks. You know, I might have a little dip. We don't, we don't see it going all the way down here. You know, just a little slight dip, and then we're back up. Moses didn't foresee it doing that. So the next thing Moses said, I took his life. Now, if I want to live, I've got to leave. So he takes and he leaves. He goes to the desert. He spends the next 40 years in the desert. I don't know if Moses started blaming the Israelites. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. I don't know. But what I do know, the pushback came from his brethren. So he takes, he does, he goes. Fast forward, 40 years is up in the desert. He returned to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. They crossed the Red Sea. And then they're going to enter the promised land. 
we come up to the time that Moses, he, the, the first time there's actually, we see one time he speaks to the rock. And both of these times were water supplied. Moses, you read in the scripture, Moses is almost talking to God like, you know, maybe I should have re-evaluated re this position because these people's talking like they're going to kill me. So the Lord told him the first time is to smite the rock. He did. Second time, you know, the Lord told him to speak to the rock. So he, Moses, there's no other way to put it. Moses sinned. He struck the rock twice. God told him to speak to the rock. So he disobeyed. He done that. And Moses was angry. And there is one thing I would never do. One thing I would never have the good sense not to do. Is I can't imagine what it must have took to walk in Moses' shoes. Because trying to do what God had called him to do, and then you do everything, and originally, originally, he was getting chided by his own people. Now he comes back, and all he hear is, really, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us? Not only that, not only to kill us, but to kill our beast also, you know? As if it wasn't enough to kill us. You're going to kill our animals also? So he's hearing this and he's thinking, I'm sure he's thinking, where, where did I go wrong? So he's, he's trying to get all this and that's when, he, that's when he told and said, the Lord was angry with me for your sake. He brings Israel in the mix. So that's what he tells them. God was angry with me for your sake. Now, one chapter back in chapter 3, uh, I'll read um, 23 through 27. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth can do according to thy works and according to, to thy might. I pray thee, let me go over and see that good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee and speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up to the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes eastward, northward, southward, and eastward, and behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Now, and I'm going to read one more, 28. I didn't give it to him, but I'm going to read it. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. Now, God tells him, what if you start to pray? And, you know, 
this, these are my thoughts and my, my, my words. And here's Moses praying, and he's lay, I would say he's laying it on a little thick. He wants to go over. He's worked a long time to get here. And he says, Thou hast begun to show thy servant, speaking of himself, thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what, for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? He's doing everything he can to try to get God to let him go across Jordan. And what if you was praying and God said, basically just let, it, let my answer satisfy you and don't you bring it up to me again. But what I want to show you is the character of this man. Because he tells him in 28, but what you are to do, Moses, you have sinned and you're not going over. But you charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before his people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. God told him, go to the top of Pisgah. I'll show you the land, but you're not going over and don't you bring it up again. This is in the third chapter of Deuteronomy. But you take Joshua not only is he going to be the man, but he's taking your job. And you must strengthen and encourage him and show him basically everything that I've showed you because he's going on. And Moses does this. And I don't know any other way to say this than just say it. In my flesh... <laughs> If anybody had a right to blame the church, Moses did. Because it is the church. Moses got very angry and he even told the Lord. Or he even, in his response was, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. It's your fault. Who's to blame? You are, Israel. I have worked 120 years to get to this point only to get told, don't you bring this up to me again. And not only that, I'm to strengthen the man that's taking my job. If on the company, if you're replaced, you know, this is your last couple of days. And by, by the way, this is, this, this is Tom and he's, Tom's taking your place and you show him everything you know. <laughs> Good luck, Tom. You're not going to know anything from me. But Moses, look at the character of this man. He does this. He does this. He goes in. He does this. Now, we have feelings. We all do. You know, sometimes our feelings dominate us. They shouldn't. But I'll just leave that alone. Okay, I'll just tell you something that happened with me. Um, true story, it happened a little while back. Uh, I'm in Gainesville at work, and we was having an issue with a piece of glass. We'd ordered it like mm, two times, and it was still coming in wrong. It came in wrong again. And 
I got chewed on. So the driver that brought it was not the regular driver. It was uh, upper management that fills in for drivers when they're not there. So I said, this is my opportunity to correct this issue. So by the time I went out there to the driver, I corrected the issue. Not in the right way, but I corrected the issue. And so when he's gone, I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, this man has been really good to me. And I said, oh, no. Because he very seldom drives a truck. He knows me. And I said, I randomly ever see him. So I didn't want to pray that nobody would lay out of work so he would take the truck again. But I said, God, somehow let him come back. And he did. It was a little while. He come, he come back. And I said, hey, about the last time you was here, um, and, you know, I really would have felt better if he, you know, I said, I, I want to correct that. And I really, really and truly, I would have felt better if he just said, you know what, you need to. But no, he says, that's all right, Ken. Just let it go. I told him, I said, sir, I appreciate that. But I got to tell you I was wrong. I shouldn't, and in essence, what I said to him wasn't all that wrong. It was the manner in which I said it. And I told him, I said, man, I was wrong. I said, you have really been good to me, and, and I just got to tell you, I was wrong, and it, you know, to the best of my ability. And I've known this man for years, years. I said, I will not let it happen again if I can help it. <laughs> and I'll try to guard myself so the best thing to do is just when, when, when we're wrong you know I just had to tell him you know but he offered me a way out and I, I still I said man I can't I, I can't take that way out you know I said uh, it's just I just had to accept responsibility and you know and thinking of that, you know, believe it or not, our church don't have a ministry of blame. <laughs> we really don't. Nobody is in that position. And as, as Brother Toby said, that is one verse I was going to use, but I'm trying to be friends with him even though. <laughs> but where the Bible says that Satan, he was cast, this is where he was cast out. Where the Bible says he is the accuser. The word accuse is in the Bible, I think like 20 times or maybe 21 times. But accuser, speaking of Satan, that's it. It's only one time in the whole Bible. And it's in Revelation 12:10, referring to Satan. So when we start being the accuser, we must be very careful. Because we are aligning ourselves with the enemy. Now, I'm, there's, I'm just telling you 
what the Bible says. And that's only in there one time. So we are not alone in our failures. The Bible, that's why I said pick up the Bible and read about yourself. There is so many examples that's in here. Um, there, just wherever, wherever you find yourself, there's just so many. I want to, time-wise, I want to do this. And it's going to be my closing, but I want you to follow me. In Exodus, I'll be speaking of Moses the whole time. Exodus 17, I'm going to be with a few scriptures. Exodus 17, 3 through 6. This is the, the first time that water was supplied. And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, and take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shalt come out water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of Israel. That was the first time that he smote the rock. Now, go with me to the, the same book, but just go to the 33rd uh, chapter. Exodus 33. Exodus 33. And I'll read 18 and 19. Now, this is Moses praying for God's presence. And he, this is what he said. And I, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said in verse 19, I'll just read these two. I know you know the story. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now here, the Bible says that God would be a God that would know Moses face to face. Now, but Moses, after this, here is Moses saying to God, show me thy glory. Well, the cloud is what veiled God's true essence. For God told him, no man can see my face. When we think of a person, we think of someone's face. You can't see the true me. You're in a fleshly body. Your flesh can't see the true essence of me and live. So the cloud veiled it. But he spoke to God, I believe, in an audible voice that he could hear. But the cloud veiled the true nature of God. And here Moses is still saying, show me thy glory. So we know that God put him in the cleft of the rock and went by. But what I want to point to you is he said, I will make all my goodness. And he said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. While he's going by, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And then he said, and I want you to remember this. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Remember that. Now, he did this, proclaimed the name of the Lord, 
We can look at the revelation that Moses received through all his writings. But what intrigues me, God told him, he said, while my glory is going by, I will be proclaiming the name of the Lord. Now, we know that I was in a, uh, watching a, a class, and I didn't know this, but on uh, Zoom, and the Hebrews, Israelites, anything that had the name Yahweh written on it, they would not throw it away. It was to be saved. It was too precious. That's why there was so much material found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And you've seen the people at the Wailing Wall that rolls up the piece of paper and shoves it in, in, in between the wailing wall. Once a year, they have a group of men that comes out, gathers all the pieces, puts them in earthen vessels, and then they go bury them on the Mount of Olives. Where the Lord went up is where he's going to come back. And so they take and they preserve all of this. God said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And Moses is saying, I want to see your glory. So the revelation that he received, we see. John says in 1.14, I won't read it, but he just said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt, dwelt as tabernacled, and we beheld his glory. We seen the essence of who God is, dwelt in Jesus Christ. We beheld his glory. Now go with me to the book of Numbers, and um, Numbers 20, and let's read... Numbers 28 through 12. He said, Take thy rod and gather all the, all the assembly together, thou, Aaron, and thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give water, and thou shalt bring forth water out of the rock, and it shall give the congregation and their beasts. And Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we, he's referring to him and Aaron. This is where Moses, all I can say, he's just mad. He's just mad at this point. He says, here now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of this rock? So Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smoked the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. Now, verse 12, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation up into the land whereof I have given them. Now, you almost feel for Moses. Here he is. He's got all these people. They're murmuring against him. And just out of a moment of frustration, he's told to speak, and he strikes a rock twice. Now, okay, we have read in the book of Deuteronomy where in the third chapter, I won't read it again, but in three, um, okay, where he's asking, he's asking God, let me go over. And God says, no, you trained Joshua. You're not going over. I've already told you. Don't bring it up again. You're not going over. So now he tells him, go to the top of Pisgah. Now, He's going to do this. Now, go with me to the end, and I'll, this will be my last verse, the end of Deuteronomy. Okay, Moses is given this command in the third chapter. In the, in the last chapter of Deuteronomy uh, 34, in the first verse, 
And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. Now, I'm going to read one through four, but I'll stop there just a second. So this is at the end of Moses' life. And remember, when Moses asked God to show me your glory, and then he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy. I believe this goes back to that. Here is the Lord being gracious and showing Moses mercy. Because the Bible says that he went up, God told him, go to the top of Pisgah. When you look up Pisgah in Hebrew, now the first time God told him, I'm going to put you in a cleft or a cliff. It's the same thing. Put my hand in front of you while my glory passes by. Go to the top of Pisgah. In Hebrew, Pisgah is cleft. So he tells Moses, I'm going to put you in the cleft one more time. But this time, I'm not going to put my hand in front of you. I'm going to show you 120 years has brought you to this point. But I am not going to let you die without showing you what you have accomplished. This, I've heard people say that God held Moses to a higher standard. I do not believe that. This law is sovereign for everyone. Preacher, saint, individual, it doesn't matter. This is sovereign. God didn't hold Moses to a higher standard. This is mercy. This is mercy being shown unto whom mercy will be shown by God. So he's taken, he says, go over. And the difference is the first time God told him to go to Pisgah, I believe that was Moses seeing it with his natural eyes. God just said, go up. This time, and that was at the beginning of Deuteronomy, when God told him, you take Joshua and you show him and lead him and instruct him. Now we're at the end. And I don't know what M Moses was feeling like, but I believe that God is saying, you, you have done your job. I will not let you die. Go to the top of Pisgah. Get in the cleft. I'm going to anoint your eyes. And I'm going to show you in this. The Bible says, and the Lord, Yahweh showed him. And the Bible says that the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, unto Naphtali, all the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea and the south and all the plains of the valley of Jericho, the city of the palms unto Zor. And I'm thinking about this. And the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it unto thy seed and I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes. But thou shalt not go over hither. This is mercy. God showing him. And I told Sister Rayleigh, I said, it makes me wonder how many people of God has come to the end of their life thinking, Lord, did I do enough? Did I accomplish enough? Did I get what needed to be done? Only God saying, go to the cleft one more time and let me show you that it has been accomplished what you needed to accomplish. Moses could have easily said, God, I've worked my whole life and you told me that I can't go over. But he said, go to, go to the top. 
I'll show you with your own eyes what you have done, what you've accomplished. And the Lord was merciful unto him because with all his humanity, it would have been so easy to blame the church, to blame the church. But he took Joshua and showed him. Now, he did it. So, we're just humanity. Moses was just humanity. But he took, went to the mountain, and God revealed his mercy. I know I've went over. Forgive me if... if, if Hallelujah. If you don't like it, you can just blame. Well, let's have a good time. (laughs) I hope you didn't have nobody in mind. Let's stand. Let's pray one more time. Then we'll share a few minutes. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the church. We thank you for what it is, Lord God. We thank you for the people of the church. We ask you to touch us, anoint us, strengthen us. Settle this word, God, I pray. We love you and thank you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.